Hello and Merry Christmas. We are so glad that you've joined us for the Ridge Weekly Podcast. This week's talk comes from Pastor Tim Herring. We hope this talk encourages and inspires you as you grow in your relationship with God and others. Christmas is such a wonderful time of year. I love the music, especially that song, Oh Holy Night. There's something about that song that when I hear it, I just want to fall on my knees. But I love other aspects of Christmas, really everything about it. I love the uh, decorations. I love the lights. I love the pageants, the uh, plays, everything else. And then one of the things I, I like about Christmas is the presents. Now, when I was growing up, the thing I looked forward to the most was the presents. And I know that's not a very spiritual mindset. It's, it was just the truth. That's what I was looking forward to. And what was interesting about that is that we didn't get nearly as many presents as our, our neighborhood friends got. Our parents just didn't have the means. And most of the presents we got were like practical items, like clothes. It seems like those shouldn't count exactly. And yet, despite all that, um, there were almost every year one or two presents that really just were wonderful. Like, I remember one year I got an erector set. Here's a picture of one if you don't even know what it is, but it had a little motor and some small tools and things like that, and you can construct uh, various things with it. That was just so much fun. I understand the company that made this uh, stopped making it in the 80s, but others have kind of stepped up. But it was so much fun, the metal strips and the screws and constructing things and whatever. Another year I got a microscope. It had those little glass slides and various things were glued to those slides. For example, a wing of a fly. And I remember when I put that under the microscope, I just was fascinated by that. Another slide I had had some little crystals on it, whether it was uh, salt or sugar, I don't know which, but they looked like these big cubes, you know, under the microscope. And it was just, I just loved it. And then one year I got a telescope. And that had the same effect on me as the microscope. And I looked up at the moon and saw craters up there, and my imagination just went wild. Like, what would it be like to be on the moon there? And so I really, I really love the presence. But have you ever wondered why we exchange presents at Christmas time? I mean, if you think about it for a moment, it's not your birthday. You know, it's not my birthday. We, we exchange gifts with one another. And so I did some research on this, and it seems like the most uh, logical answer is that gift-giving began in actually 336 A.D. when Constantine determined that December 25th was going to be the date that we would celebrate the birth of Christ. And that date was, by the way, was chosen given a, a variety of different considerations. A lot that's online about that is not actually true. But the date was selected, and the reason people give gifts is because of the story of the Magi. Now, this evening or this afternoon, I want to talk a little bit about these, these Magi, because they were kind of fascinating people, like, who were they? And how did they know that the star somehow represented the birth of Christ? And, and why did they even care? And why were they willing to travel hundreds of miles across the desert over a period of months and months just so that they could bow down before this child and offer him some gifts? These magi knew something that maybe people don't realize. I think they understood who Jesus really was and is. And who is he? Jesus was and is the King of Kings. And they came to bow before the one that they believed, I believe, was their king. 
Now, there are lots of reasons why I think they arrived at the conclusion that Jesus was indeed the one before whom they should bow. But realize that in their day, there were lots of kings around. The Magi didn't care about any of those kings. You know, they came, they, they, they talked to Herod, but they didn't care about Herod. They were coming to see this one who was born king of the Jews. Why? They understood who he was. Now, this whole story is really a story of two kings. You've got King Herod, and then you've got Jesus, who's the king of the Jews. And King Herod was someone who, according to the Roman Senate, was given permission to call himself the king of the Jews. That was his favorite title for himself, the king of the Jews. So imagine for a moment what happened when these magi show up, and they say, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? And taking this title, now Herod understood that this was a reference to prophecy, that this was a reference to the Messiah whose coming had been foretold. But again, they understood this Jesus was the king. In Revelation 19:16, we read these words about Jesus, and he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's who this child was and is. Now, I'd like to read the story of the Magi. It's found in Matthew chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 1 where we read, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what is written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, because out of you will come a leader who will shepherd my people, Israel. Now let's stop here for a moment, but based on what we know about Herod, even asking this question would have been risking their lives. Because Herod had put people to death before who threatened his throne, and then suddenly these, these guys show up kind of causing trouble. Where is the one who's born king of the Jews? Well, this child was no ordinary child, and his coming was foretold hundreds, even thousands of years ahead of time. In fact, throughout the pages of the Old Testament, there are so many verses that predicted this would happen. Now, I think the Magi knew those verses. I believe they had access to the Hebrew Scriptures. But let's look at some of the references that spoke about this. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Written 700 years before the birth of Christ. Amazing detail. Daniel also spoke about this Messiah King who was coming. In Daniel 7:14, he was given authority to rule and glory in a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. And then we move forward to the New Testament, where Gabriel the angel, you remember, talked with Mary and announced the birth of this child. In Luke 1.31, we read, Now listen, you will conceive, Gabriel said to her, 
you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. And the references go on and on. Even in the New Testament, you remember how Paul spoke to the Philippians and said, one day, every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, there are some themes that are found in all these references. For example, he was going to be a descendant of David. That he would be called by names that are supposed to be reserved for God alone. Isaiah said he needed to be called or would be called Mighty God, Everlasting Father. The fact that he would rule forever and ever and over everything. There'd be no end to his kingdom. Do you realize who this Jesus was and is? Now, I think the Magi did. Now, most of the ideas people have about these Magi are wrong. For example, we sing the song, We Three Kings of Orient Are. There's no evidence that they were kings, and there's no evidence that there were just three. People think there were three based on the number of gifts. But likely, there were many more than that. Who were they? Magi were priest, scientist, astrologers. There was a spiritual component, but a scientific component, and they were often counselors to kings, but they were into both religion and science. The, God, or the Old Testament writer Daniel, who was also a prophet, was considered to be a magus, which is the singular form of this. And, and our English word magician also comes from magus here. My mind immediately goes to the Old Testament where you remember that Moses did some miracles under the power of God and then Pharaoh produced some of his magicians and they were able to imitate some of these things. And so you realize that these were ones who were into secret arts and those were things that were forbidden in the Old Testament law. And what this reveals to me is that God in his love for them reached out to them and led them to himself. And it's a wonderful story. Dr. Vincent writes about the Magi. They were a priestly caste among the Persians and Medes, which occupied itself principally with the secrets of nature, astrology, and medicine. Uh, Dr. Nolan adds that they were skilled at interpreting dreams, just like Daniel was. Now, they had traveled a long distance, and I would suggest there were many, many of them. In fact, it, however you imagine this caravan arriving in Jerusalem, I would suggest it was bigger than you think because you realize that to travel that far just for the sake of safety but also supplies, it would be a massive caravan. And so they come into Jerusalem announcing basically that this child had been born and it would have stirred up everything. They had come most likely from Iran, which was ancient Persia. And some have given names to them. You've probably heard some of the names of at least the three that they've tried to identify. Balthazar, Caspar, and Melchior. Uh, those names, though, didn't appear for 500 years. They showed up in a document about 500 years later. And other religious uh, traditions have different names from them. The, the bottom line is we don't know. In fact, when I think of the Magi, there are more questions than answers. But God used a mysterious star to get their attention. These were ones who examined the stars and suddenly something shows up and they somehow knew the significance of that star, which is quite remarkable. They knew that it was the announcement of the birth of the king of the Jews. 
Now, we don't know exactly how they knew that. Some think that they looked to the writing of the prophet Balaam in the Old Testament in Numbers 24, 17, where we read, a star will come from Jacob and a scepter will arise from Israel. So they may have been familiar with that. But also in biblical times, people believed that many times the birth or the death of a king would be revealed somehow in the heavens. They had that idea in their mind. In fact, there's some amazing examples where kings were either born or they died on the night of an eclipse or something like that. And people interpreted that to mean it represents the birth of a king. Dr. Nolan writes about that. Conjunctions of constellations, appearances of comets, and the appearance and disappearance of stars were all at times believed to herald or announce the rise and fall of monarchs. But there are other clues. I believe they were familiar with the writings of Daniel, who lived in the same place or the same area of the world 600 years earlier. And in Daniel chapter 9, it is one of the most remarkable chapters in the Bible because there is a timeline related to the coming of the Messiah. These guys were mathematicians. I think they were able to put it all together. The Old Testament prophecies, the writing of Daniel, the star in the sky, everything. You see, you don't make a trip like this on a, on a whim, on a guess. You don't travel this far unless you're sure. And they were sure. Now, for whatever reason, we don't know why they didn't know where the baby was going to be born. And so that's why they arrive in Jerusalem. And they go to where the kings ruled in Jerusalem there and ask the question, where's the one born king of the Jews? By the time the Magi arrived in Jerusalem, obviously Mary and Joseph and the baby were no longer in a, a barn or something like that. They had a home of their own. And, and then these visitors show up. When you see the Christmas cards, by the way, that have the shepherds with the angels and the Magi all together, you know, they're beautiful cards, but realize the event we're talking about happened about a year and a half later. This mysterious group shows up. They ask, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? The wording is kind of interesting because it doesn't say he was born to be a king. He was born a king. He was a king at his birth. And of course, Herod was not happy with this. Herod's, Herod's response is found in Matthew 2, 3. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. Now, who was this Herod the Great? Well, he was a very ambitious man, a fighter, a warrior, and very wicked. But he gained favor with the people in Israel by rebuilding the temple. Dr. Nolan writes about him. Herod here is Herod the Great, who ruled as king from 37 to 4 B.C. By the way, you realize he died in 4 B.C., which means Christ was actually born before Christ, a little bit before. He was a figure of heroic proportions whose rebuilding of Jerusalem temple represented a major feat of ancient architecture, but whose rule was tyrannical, ruthless, and cruel. Dr. Warren Wearsby adds he was a ruthless murderer, he had his own wife and her two brothers slain because he suspected them of treason. He was married at least nine times in order to fulfill his lusts and strengthen his political ties. And so you realize this guy was a, a murderous, crafty, selfish individual. And then just asking that question again, where is he who is to, to, to be born king of the Jews, could have risked the life of these magi. 
Now, Herod didn't know the answer where this child was supposed to be born. He didn't know the scriptures, so he called the religious leaders of his day, the scribes and the Pharisees. Some have suggested that he chose people from different groups because he wanted to see if their answer would be the same. Then he would know it was true. And in response, they all quoted the same reference, Micah 5.2, that says this, Bethlehem, Ephratah, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from eternity. Now, Bethlehem, in the time of Jesus, was a tiny dot of a town. Town's not even the right word. Even village might be too big for it. They say between 100 and 300 people there. So to predict hundreds of years ahead of time that this Messiah, the greatest one who ever lived, would be born in that place is, is just remarkable. But what's more remarkable is how Micah described him. He said about him, his origin is from antiquity, from eternity. It's a reference to the deity of Christ. Micah was describing someone who was going to come in the future who existed in the past and eternally into the past. And again, I think the Magi probably understood this. And all of this paints the picture as to why the Magi would come and worship him because they understood something that even these days many people don't understand, that this was the Son of God and God the Son. But let's read the rest of the story beginning in verse 7, and then I want to talk about why it matters to us. Matthew 2, 7, we read, Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen in the east. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed beyond measure. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Now Herod said he wanted to know where the child was so he could worship him, but we know that that wasn't his intention. His intention was to get rid of the competition. Fortunately, God warned both Mary and Joseph to flee to Egypt, and God warned the Magi, don't go back the way you came, go a different way. Herod did indeed send soldiers there, and they, he did indeed kill the children aged two and under. Now, when the Magi arrived at the house, the text indicates that they presented Jesus, not Mary or Joseph, but Jesus. They presented Jesus with some gifts. Uh, the word presented here in the original language in which this is written is really a, a, an interesting word. It appears seven times in the New Testament, and in all seven occasions, it's a reference to somebody presenting something to God. In other words, it's an offering. They understood, again, who this was. Now, why did they bring gifts? Well, in biblical times, you never approached a sovereign without gifts in hand. You would never approach a king without something in hand that would show your feelings toward that king. And so that would be an insult. And they realized that, again, coming to Jesus, they came with gifts. Now, this idea of presenting gifts to a sovereign is something that was built into the Old Testament law. In the Old Testament... Jewish men of a certain age were required three times a year to travel to Jerusalem to celebrate three of the major seven 
feasts. There were three of them they had to go to. And when they came, God said to them, you're not allowed to approach the Lord empty-handed. And so we read in Deuteronomy 16, 16 and 17, all your males are to appear three times a year before the Lord your God in the place he chooses. At the festival of unleavened bread, that's number one. The festival of weeks, that's number two. And then the festival of booths. No one is to appear before the Lord empty-handed. Everyone must appear with a gift suited to his means according to the blessing the Lord your God has given you. What I find interesting about this is that God didn't tell him what to bring. And suddenly it becomes a test of the heart. You have to wrestle with that. Well, then what am I going to bring the, the king as I come into the presence of the Lord? It reveals a heart. But let's read again verses 11 and 12 and get to some applications. In verse 11 we read, Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Now, many have speculated as to the significance of the gifts, gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Some think it points to the fact that he was going to be a king. That's the gold, frankincense, that he's deity because you light incense in the temple. And myrrh is a burial spice. And that's possible that God is the one who put it in their hearts. It is prophetic at the very least. These gifts were prophetic about who this, who this child was going to be. But from a practical standpoint, these gifts provided the funds that they were going to need to live in Egypt for a while. God was taking care of their needs. So what do we learn from this story? Well, first of all, I love the fact that these visitors were Gentiles, non-Jews. It just demonstrates the fact that the, the Messiah is for all of us. It, it means that I can receive him, that I can bow before him as king. And I just love that. It means all of us can have an encounter with him, not just those from the Jewish nation, but Jews and Gentiles alike. And one question for you today is, have you had an encounter with Jesus Christ? Uh, Jesus Christ came to be both a savior and a king. Both of those matter. When he came into this world 2,000 years ago, he came primarily to live a sinless life so that he might die on a cross in your place and mine and for our sin. That's why he came into this world. The sinless one took upon himself the sin of the world. In a word, he came to save us, to deliver us. And when Jesus rose again from the dead, it demonstrated the payment that he had made on our behalf was accepted by God. But have you received that forgiveness of sin? You say, well, how do I receive that? You receive it by receiving Jesus, the Savior of the world. That's how. John wrote, as many as receive him, to those who believe in his name, God gives the privilege to become his children. And in John 3.16, the most famous verse in the Bible, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Have you turned to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? But second, Jesus came to rule. Do you remember when Jesus came, his main message was the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Well, Jesus is the king of that kingdom. He came to rule in the hearts of his people. So if you know Christ, he wants to rule in your heart. And then one day he's going to rule on a physical throne. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time.